Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today, he's a well-known composer. He's composed stuff like Order 1886, Dead Space, Far Cry, Far Cry Primal, plus many more things. We could be here forever if I listed every single thing, so I won't. Jason Graves, how are you doing? Hey, Reese. How are you doing? Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing good. It's an honor to talk to you. For you to impart me with your knowledge. <laughs> okay, sure. The, the, the honor is mine. All yeah. the way from, from New Zealand. I think we're literally on the opposite sides of the world. Close to it. Close to it, yeah. I think, I think the UK is probably the worst because I think it's exactly a 12-hour time difference. So not quite oh, as okay. bad. Yeah, yeah. But still, not quite. But still, anywhere in New Zealand is on the other side of the world, compared to pretty much every country. So, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. there you go. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm curious to ask about how how you got your composing style, like how you formed it. <laughs> Was it there from the get go? Was it something that kind of developed over time? I think probably like any other artist, it's developed over time. Um, I, I think part of it is from the kind of music that I used to listen. I say used to because I just don't, I don't sit around and listen to music the way I did when I was younger, which is sad but true. Well, fair I, enough. I honestly prefer silence, right? A little, a little more. Um, I still listen to music. I mean, my daughter and I were fixing dinner last night. We were playing music, but I used to really listen to music. I mean, hours of music a day obsessively, like listening and analyzing and listening to film scores and classical music and stuff like that. So that was like early career. That was a big part of it was listening to, I mean, anything from Tchaikovsky to John Williams, um, you know, Berlioz to Jerry Goldsmith and trying to figure out kind of the orchestra side of things. Um, then, after probably 10 years doing uh, games, mostly, I think the, the kind of the other half of my personality, musically speaking, started to come through. And it was more or less purely through the kinds of projects that I worked on. Uh, one of the biggest ones in the first half of my career was Dead Space, which was a big horror title. That's and I right. learned a lot about uh, sampling and kind of, you know, what kind of scary music I think is scary and, and how to how to scare people. Uh, I did three of those games. So you can't work on that much music. I mean, like seven or eight hours of that si kind of music and have it not seep in to everything that you do one way or another. Um, same thing with my music background. I played in bands. I mean, I played uh, drums. I started out as a drummer. We'll just say that. I started out playing drums, drum set. Yeah. And then I learned percussion. And then I was taking like snare drum rudiment lessons and I was taking vibe lessons and marimba lessons and timpani lessons. But I was also teaching myself guitar. And then in college, I picked up bass. So, um, and I had piano lessons as a kid. So like the, the band instruments were sort of my kind of happy place. Um, I, played, I played keyboard in a blues band in college. I played bass in another band in college. I played a drum set in like jazz bands and steel drums and African ensembles and anything I could get my hands on. So wow. there's a lot of that drummer rhythm section kind of mental processing going on a lot when I'm, when I'm working on things. Now, I like your question because I think the first half of my career... I had that turned off. I didn't want to consider it because it seemed like the easy out, right? It seemed like the, the shortcut as opposed to listening to real composers like Tchaikovsky or John Williams or someone like that. So I was really studying the orchestra thing. And then after about 10 or 12 years, I started kind of looking more internally. And I realized that everything I thought was like my biggest weakness, being being a drummer, having this 
ingrained sense of rhythm, thinking of like a time signature or a tempo or a groove before I thought of a melody. That was actually one of my biggest strengths. So I really embraced it. And I think if you take that drummer rhythm section band idea and the whole orchestra John Williams uh, Tchaikovsky thing and kind of mash them together, that's where I pop out at the end and go, hi, it's me, I'm Jason. (laughs) So did you reach that conclusion all on your own or did you have a bit of guidance? I know you worked under Jerry Goldsmith. Did he give you any direction? Mm -hmm. Well, back then it was so early on. um, He was, he was very encouraging. I was mostly just like, Oh my gosh, it's Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, Same thing with Elmer Bernstein. Cause I, I, learned under him as well as a matter of fact one of my very first games was like adapting elmer bernstein's score from wild wild west for i can't remember the platform maybe it was ds maybe it was something else but um i i had the gig and i called elmer actually i called elmer's wife because she's the one that organized everything right and she invited me out to the recording session so i'm in north carolina but of course they're in los angeles so i got to fly out to la and go to the recording session for wild wild west and like sit with the director and talk and hang out with elmer i got all the scores the printed scores and was able to implement the music um accordingly but that was all because i knew him and did some work with him in school same thing with christopher young I learned a lot from Chris, right. basically because he just handed me um, all of his CDs and gave me his personal score, conductor's score, like the orchestra score to Alien, to Goldsmith's Alien. It was like, here's everything you need to know about horror music. So each one of them kind of had their own impact on me. But I think that's another reason that I was so orchestra, orchestrally kind of motivated those first 10 years or so. It was the biggest hole in my sort of repertoire. I wanted to learn more about orchestration and melodies and why do I get goosebumps when that one chord goes to that other chord? It's yeah. just, you know, wanting to better yourself. Because it's very hard, I feel, in orchestra to very, uh, to very much have that very distinctive sound, right? Because so many people mm. have, have used orchestra, right? But you use it in very unique yeah. ways. Like say with uh, 14, uh, 14, Order 1886, um, you use mostly strings, right? I think more, pretty mm-hmm. much the entire score is just strings. Was that always the, the idea when you started that? Oh, definitely. That one was with Ready at Dawn. And I think they had one word they described that they wanted the score to convey. A, a lot of times, especially at the beginning of a project, I'm trying to get like colors and ideas for the music out of the developers. And I think they get stuck trying to talk music. Maybe they don't know a flute from an oboe and they think that's going to hold them back. So I try to get general words. Are you looking for something dark? Are you looking for something, you know, with a lot of motion to it? Um, Just descriptions or emotions. And they said, um, wait was the word they were looking for. So the general idea was to use just all these low instruments. So yes, it's predominantly strings. There are no violins. Normally the violins are about half the orchestra. So there are no violins. Instead, there's double violas and double cellos. So when you hear these strings playing, you really do get this extreme sense of weight because they're all these big, low, heavy instruments. And then we had 12 woodwinds, but they were all, if you normally have maybe eight woodwinds in an orchestra, there's like one guy that would be playing the really low woodwind instrument, the one that's sticking up in the back of the room because it's so tall. We had 12 of those. <laughs> wow. And um, same thing with choir. It was, it was all male, and I think we started with basses, which is normally the lowest bass, and then we did... Um, contrabasses i think is what they're called who can yeah. sing even lower than that it's it, in a way reese it's kind of like cheating because when you pick an ensemble that unique chances are no one's done that combination of instruments before and then whatever i write even if it's twinkle twinkle little star 
it's going to sound really different and unique just because of the instrumentation, right? Yeah, it's a very, very valid point. Very valid point. So are you going out of your way to try and find that unique thing every time or are you just oh, like, yeah. or I just do what suits the project? Or whatever the guidance is, I suppose, from the director of the project. Both, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like... Um, What's going to be best for the project? What does the client want? Um, what is interesting for me? So let's say I'm doing uh, two horror games at the same time. Um, the last thing I want to do is have the, the same set of instruments between both games because already with my palettes bleeding together, it's going to be hard to kind of creatively feel like I'm doing something new and original using the same group of instruments. So the, the more diversified and original and unique I can get with the instruments, whether it's orchestra or not, uh, but especially orchestra, because like you said, it's very, you know, we've all heard that kind of stock Hollywood orchestra, like it's this, this big sound, um, which is amazing, of course, and I have done that a little bit, but I'm a lot more interested in the smaller, more unique ensembles. Fair enough. So do you actively chase projects on like a game or television or whatever, or do people just approach you? I suppose particularly after Dead Space, which was, I think, what really put you on the map. Yes, it, it was. And, you know, I think it's a, a tribute to the game community in general that after that game came out and got the kind of notoriety it did, I wasn't overwhelmed with a whole bunch of horror game companies saying, hey, we want you to do exactly like what you did for Dead Space for us. And I have worked on other things. I worked on a, a fear game. I worked on um, Until Dawn. I've done all the Dark Pictures Anthology games. But they never asked to copy Dead Space. They they wanted their own unique thing. And hmm. um, to, answer your, to answer your question about chasing projects it's tricky because especially with games by the time they're publicly announced they're already 90 percent of the time well underway making the game and they already have a composer so normally i'm contacted by the developer before i mean years before any sort of an announcement or any kind of public interest has come around and it's a uh you know, an invitation to start collaborating, basically. And I've been fortunate enough that enough of them come in so that I'm, I'm working and I'm not sitting around for two months going, oh, wait, uh, let me see what games might be coming out so I could contact them and ask if they need a composer. It just seems to sort of self-generate now, which is, which is really nice. <laughs> right. But it must be frustrating if you're, you've been working on a project for, like, say, two years and you can't tell anyone, right? You go and have a coffee with someone. They're like, oh, what are you working on? Oh, just something, you know, can't say. It was, it, was, it was weird and awkward for probably the first 10 years. And now it's to the point where it's so ingrained in my brain that when the game's actually released and I can talk about it, I feel like a, a sharpshooter is going to take me out from the other side of the room. <laughs> you know, it feels strange actually talking about it because I'm so used to silence and just having no input whatsoever uh, in terms of projects I'm working on. But I, I have to because there's uh, right now um, seven, seven or eight different things in various stages of development. And right. it's almost impossible to remember like, Okay, one of them said that I could say something if I wanted to, and then the other one, like the publisher doesn't want you to say anything until the game actually comes out. Even if I'm already announced as the composer, I can't comment on it. I have to wait until they get... It's just like, okay, I don't say anything until the game's released. It's, it's just easier. Yeah, fair enough. Otherwise, it gets very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Better safe than sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I'm interested with Dead Space. When, you, when you're doing a horror game particularly when it comes to jump scares like or anything mm. like that like how do you how are you deciding how to implement the music right like it, particularly when you know a scene's coming up that that's probably going to cause a jump scare like how mm -hmm. do you decide what you're going to implement 
implement in that section? Do you incorporate, like, is it more, like, are you blurring the line between music and sound design more during that, during that time? Or are you just focused on having some instrument just blast out like, like a, a string that's <laughs> like really high? I mean, which is like the cliche thing, right? But right, right. I've always been curious as to how someone decides to implement that jump scare. Because a lot of the jump scare is actually in, in the shock of, of the music sometimes, right? Or, or the audio, right? I remember, um, what movie was it? I think it was The Ring, like the American version of The Ring. They just had, this was years ago when it came out in theaters, but I saw it in theaters. And they had some sort of a jump scare. They were going into a closet maybe, and there was like a person like, you know, like who had died or something. And when the, it was super quiet, and when they cut to it, it was just like static, like, but it was really loud. Mm. And every, I mean, everyone in the theater jumped. Um, so it's timing. And of course, there's the sort of the cliche, everything getting quiet. Yeah. Before the before the loud thing hits, because whether you realize it or not, you're you're mentally, if not physically, kind of leaning in and 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 paying more attention because things because things get quiet. And then yes, it's definitely. I think if you played a major happy chord, maybe it would be startling. But it wouldn't scare you, if you know what I mean. It needs to have some discordant, like, dissonant kinds of things. And usually the more kind of, like, pitch, pitch bendy, uh, something that, that sounds like a, like a scream or a cry is usually the best. Because that's psychologically just tapping into our inner psyche and your brain says, run away. Because some animal or something is is screaming, and I'm next. I need to get out of here. Yeah, because you're very good at knowing when less is more. I find, like, you're very good, like, of knowing when to build up tension, and then when you have like a minimalist type of approach where the the, the music is quite subtle. Like, is that is that well, something? If you're, if you're, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, ahead, is that something ahead. that you've 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 kind of always been in tune with or is that something that you had to fine tune over time is it because of direction is it all three um, well it it it's it's all three yeah, yeah i yeah. mean it, it started on the first dead space and that was a master class in kind of suspense that that i was fortunate enough to be able to take because the audio director don vecca on the first dead space had a very specific idea about what he wanted to do um, in terms of the sound and the music. So there was a lot of um, back and forth in terms of what the music needed to sound like. And eventually I'm, I, I'm sort of the one that fell into that orchestra as a, as a necromorph, which the necromorphs are the sort of mutilated corpses of people in dead space that you're fighting and i thought well if this these necromorphs are coming from people i'm going to necromorph the orchestra because mm. you know we're talking about screams or unrecognizable kinds of sounds well the orchestra's got that in spades so i can do that kind of a thing with the orchestra and it doesn't need to be just on the jump scares there's actually music playing through the entire first two games i know of all the time but that first level of music that's in the background that you don't really notice unless I hit the mute button and you'd be like, where'd all the tension go? Is mostly mostly strings, but there's just lots of sort of just these like kind of staticky, dissonant like clusters of things ebbing and flowing in the background. And that all just came from experimenting with the musicians. We had to record everything live and um, I learned a lot both from working with Don and from working with the musicians. But it's definitely one of those learning as you go. And I remember not knowing if anything I was doing was really going to work because we had two separate recording sessions. And after the first session, it was in Seattle and EA's at, in San Francisco. And we did the session and Don took a hard drive and I took a hard, hard drive. But we both flew back to San Francisco and I think he had spent the, that morning, I was 
like meeting with the producers or something and he was doing something else. So the session had been over the day before and I was just thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I just spent half the live budget. I, I hope this is going to work. I'm not really sure if it's going to be the right thing. And after lunch, I see him and he pulls me inside. He's like, okay, you got to check this out. And he shows me kind of their first, like, it's really dark in the room and you're walking down this catwalk and there's a necromorph coming towards you. You can't even really see it at first. You just kind of hear something like, you know, like this weird sort of sound effect, like dragging his limb. And you see this thing kind of going like this, you know, his arms are all up. And the music started when you first started hearing him. And it was that, that tone, that sort of just like static, like, texturally dissonant thing and then things started bubbling and, and moving and he came up and I think it just kind of cut and I said oh my gosh that was amazing what was that he's like dude that was your music but I had recorded so much little abstract bits and pieces of things I and it was literally the last two previous days my, my brain was fried but that was the sort of defining moment of like okay what Don said he wanted the music to do and what I heard the music doing in my head are like, we're, 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 we're right on point. We're seeing completely eye to eye. And then we kind of move forward from there with that idea of abstract textures. Yeah. So do you have much oversight in terms of how music is implemented in games or do you just hand it over to the, the audio guys and they implement it? So you could write a piece for a particular scene uh, or area, and then they go and they take it and they apply it to somewhere completely different. And you're like, ah, oh. that could happen. Um, it, it depends on the game. Um, usually, the bigger games, I'm more involved with the implementation. Either implementing it myself. Um, maybe if I'm not doing the final implementation, I'm like loading it into the like wise a lot of times is wise so i'm kind of doing the mixes and the, the stems and the, the layers of interactivity and i'm building those into wise for maybe the audio director or the music editor to pick up and go from there sometimes i'm just sending audio over the internet and um, someone else is implementing it but i'd say 99 percent of the time but there's always been a lot of discussion beforehand between me and the audio team about what the music needs to do and where the music's going to be going. And then once it's implemented, there's always gameplay captures or I've got a dev kit here and I can play through. And everyone's like overly sensitive to if they think I, if, if I think that they put the music in the way I wanted and a lot of times they've got a better a better idea. I mean, I have a starting point, but they get their hands on the stems and they're, oh wait, this one thing, it just happened yesterday with the developer. There was a, a piece that I'd written kind of for the beginning of the game. And they said, we love it, it's great. And then I sent them the stems and they came back and said, oh, we took this one stem that you have from this cue from the beginning and we're using just that stem over this really important other moment in the game because we love the idea of kind of calling back to that first moment. And then we're going to use that same stem at the end of the game as well. And it's like, great. And they played me the video over Zoom and it was like, that's fantastic. And I wouldn't have known how to place that. They know the game a lot better than I do. So right. it's it's like like anything else. Really, really good proper coordination and cooperation mutual respect on both sides and everyone just trying to make the, the best game we can regardless of um you know the composer's original intent uh, yeah there's yeah. always <laughs> a better way to do something right of course but i think that's that's actually the best way but you know how there's some creative people that are very stuck and rigid in terms of no this is the way i created it sure. and it must be this way um, but I don't think you can really do that with games because it's such a collaborative process. I mean, there's so many, so many levers that are being pulled, so many people involved. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons it's such a great creative community. Um, it's not like a, a film team where there's like a director and he's got his cameras and he's shooting everything and he's like got his fingers in all the pies. This is... A lot more people, a lot more technology, and a lot of things kind of all coming online at the same time that one person 
I mean, yeah, there's a creative director, but that creative director is handing off a lot of responsibility to other people. It's a much bigger collaboration. I think that's one of the reasons that um, that people enjoy playing games so much is that they're they're made kind of by a team and they're influenced by the team like you know in a good way it's like it makes it better it's the the lowest common denominator is going up and maybe if you're christopher nolan like your vision is your vision and that's fantastic but you know there's only so many like really super amazing directors like that out there in film yeah totally is that part of the reason why you've done more game projects as opposed to like say television projects is just because of oh yeah that yeah I mean, because yeah, that's, that's, just... that's the thing I've heard often, that it's it's a lot more collaborative. It's not as stuck up. It's more chilled, laid back. There's not as much pressure because you don't have a ridiculously tight deadline as well. You're nodding your head, so you're like, yeah. yep, yep, <laughs> pretty much. And I've, I, did, I did TV um, for, uh, for about three three years, two and a half years, um, recently, a a bunch of different shows. Um, and that's really hard just because of the deadlines, you know, Mm. so much music needs to get done in a very short amount of time. But also since I'm not, I don't know who a big TV composer would be, but I, I don't have a lot of TV credits. So it's not like the, the showrunner was saying, Oh yeah, Jason, just, what do you think is going to work for this scene? You know, it, it's about the the temp track. And with any series, it's like that. And it's about taking the temp track and making it work for the scene with all the little ins and outs. But what I do love about scoring to picture is doing that, all the little ins and outs of the scene. And when they pause and then the camera cuts and then someone looks and takes a breath and then starts to say something. And then you see there's a gun and being able to write the music around the scene is a completely different way of composing than with games where most of the time it's like, give us a five minute exploration cue. And you just, you have five minutes to do kind of whatever you want, um, both in terms of that exploration cue, but also in terms of, uh, for me, they are saying, hey, Jason, what would be an interesting group of instruments or an interesting sound that you think we could get for this particular game. Cause we want something completely unique and you're not going to have any temp tracks. You're really limited only by your imagination. What do you want to do? That's, <laughs> that's hard to beat. <laughs> Must be exciting and scary at the same time. Cause you're like, Oh man, I'm exactly. going to think of something here. And at the same time, it's like a new challenge. Yeah. So what was it like working on say two? one of the, Tomb Raider and Far Cry. Uh, sorry, uh, Tomb Raider and Far Cry uh, Primal, because you're basically taking over from another composer. So, was there any mm-hmm. kind of pressure to try and match your predecessors in terms of how they compose, or were you just totally going like blank slate? It was blank slate for both of those. Um, yeah, I think with with Far Cry, because it was a completely other universe, you know, prehistoric times. Um, I just did. A, I did a very, very long, like ten or fifteen minute suite of music for Far Cry as my as my demo, and sent it to him. And it's funny because I mean I think I spent a week on it. And when they hired me and I flew up to Montreal, they said, "If it's okay with you, we're, we we were going to play the demo and just kind of give you like highlights of what we liked, so you'd know what to focus on." I said, "Oh yeah, absolutely." And it started with this conch shell. Uh, this like like granular delay, big conch shell. That's how I started the whole demo out. And the I think it was the like executive producer of the game or something. Five seconds into the demo, he goes, "When we heard that, we knew you were our guy." <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> I could have saved myself a whole week of time. Um, instead, you know, instead of doing this extra like fifteen minutes of music, but. It's not like you just think, oh, I'm going to start with a conch shell. It was a bunch of other work behind it. And then the conch shell was discovered later. And I put it at the beginning as like a, a statement like this is this is unusual. You haven't heard something like this before. Um, and that was the palette that we used for that game. I didn't use any of the demo. I ended up honing in even more specifically 
uh, it, it was funny because I wanted it to be authentic for Far Cry Primal, so no metal um, or plastic or anything like that. Mm. And if you start thinking about it, I mean, if, if I picked, if I went and pointed the camera to my drum set, there's metal and plastic all over those drums. They're wooden drums, but the heads are plastic and the lugs are metal and you start getting all these percussion instruments and they've got metal jingles and it, it was a, a big restraint. But as you know by now, I love the idea of kind of limiting myself. So I was using skinhead drums and making making things out of like sticks and rocks and bone flutes and all this crazy stuff. And they actually one up to me on it and we split the score into three because there were three different tribes. So we went with each tribe and gave them a very specific sort of sound and specific set of instruments. So I was oh. even more reduced into what I could do, but it ended up being a really terrifying at first and then creative liberating experience, you know, about like halfway through. It's like once you get about halfway through, you've kind of hit your stride and you're like, okay, I... I know what I can and can't do with these instruments, and um, and I know what they expect in terms of the game developers. So I can feel a little less terrified, you know, recording a brick smacking against another brick as a <laughs> as an as an instrument. Well, a lot of people and, do that in, as as foley work on films as well, right? So you're pretty yeah, much yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're just doing a bit of that stuff. But obviously, with with Far Cry, pretty you're much. not you're not doing it for like a year or two years straight or however long the development is, right? Because you'd be doing no. it for a bit, then you'd go off and do another project and then come back. And would you ever be like, it was wait, funny. what was I doing again? Yeah. That actually is very true with most projects. But with Far Cry Primal, originally they didn't want any music in the game because, and I, I mean, I kind of get it. They're like, it's the Stone Age. It's like, let's just not do any music. You know, maybe we'll have like some guys like banging some rocks together and humming and that'll be okay, we'll do a little bit of music. Maybe we'll do some cinematics. Let's get a composer. And I think I was hired for maybe 45 minutes of music, and that shot up to over three hours eventually, mm. which is great because they liked it, and they kept asking for more. But the thing was, I was brought in rather late in the game. <laughs> no pun uh -huh. intended. So there was, I think, I think this was like September, and we were finishing basically in December. It's like 45 minutes of music. Yeah, no problem. I can totally do that. And then the next month they added an hour and then the next month they added another hour and then the next month they added another hour. So the, the music assignments kept piling up and the deadline didn't change. It kept getting closer oh, and closer. No. <laughs> A lot of all-nighters. So that's, I think, I, well... I can't. I, I, I couldn't do that. But what I what I did do is I would I would record all day and record like seven or eight minutes of music and then I had I hired someone because I had no other choice to come in and basically export everything because there were all these stems. I mean it took like three or four hours to export everything. Half mm. a day of work if I were sitting there doing it. So my assistant was working all night. Like they worked from like midnight to four and then I came in around five AM and worked from five to five. It was crazy, but we we made the deadline, and the client they loved it, and I, it's a cool it's a cool soundtrack. So I'm proud of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's quite different to a lot of your other work as well. Really shows your diversity. <laughs> I think that's one of the the prime examples of being a drummer and having it be like, okay, I totally got this because everything was recorded live. I hardly edited anything. It would literally be I would just. I would take a this big um, log like you would throw in a fireplace and and bang it on this like low couch table that I built out of two by fours and plywood. But the thing is you hit the log on the table and it was this ooh, 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 like this bass drum. So I just sit there and record that for three minutes, like with a, a particular meter and some kind of a groove. And then I'd go over and pick up a clay pot that I'd smashed on the ground and tied together with string and hung on a stick. So it's very like, like crumbly with all the pieces. And I record that as a shaker part. And I would just multi-track myself as a drummer. And I mean, I played some whistles and, and did some grunting and, and like heavy rhythmic breathing and things like that. Uh, and just layered it all up. 
and it was one of those things. It's a very textural score, but that was that was on purpose. It wasn't supposed to be melodic. Yeah, well, it worked. I mean, no one would have any idea unless you said this, that that's exactly what you did. So, <laughs> But it's a testament to the game, and it works, and it blends in perfectly. So you did very well. As a matter of fact, um, they I found out about three-quarters of the way through that they went through with their idea of having some guys in the game, um, or girls, I mean, just people, like around campfires, like chanting and, and doing music stuff. So they recorded the vocals themselves, but they based all of the, um, the pieces, if I remember correctly, just on stems that I'd sent of different instruments. Because they had all the instruments soloed, so they could just take three or four of the instruments from a track and animate characters in the game playing the instruments, and then they recorded vocals to it. So it really was like a seamless kind of like, hey... Those dudes are just sitting around a fire, like banging sticks and rocks and singing. And yeah, it was me. So how did uh, Tomb Raider come about? I suppose you, what you were just approached. I mean, because that would have been a lot yeah. of pressure. Pretty much what gaming's most iconic female protagonist, really. Right. Yeah. Which is no why pressure. I was I was pretty I was pretty shocked that they just flat out called me and said, "Hey." What's your schedule like? <laughs> That's pretty much what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like um, they, they said that they loved a bunch of other stuff that I'd done and wanted to know if I was interested in working with them. And the rest is history. It's the best kind of gig to get, for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, did you look at any of the footage from like the older games to get any ideas? No. Or you're just like, nah, you just focused no. on the material that was given to you uh by crystal dynamics yeah yep yeah and i didn't uh I, i'm not i'm not a huge gamer just because i'm not very good uh and and being a composer and being on the development team just makes it worse because if i do have a dev kit i can put it in god mode so i'm invincible and i have unlimited ammo that doesn't help my case for being a bad gamer so uh i'd never played tomb raider um well, that's probably a good thing. And I didn't know the music. I didn't know the themes. I didn't know anything. And I ran away from any prospect of hearing it as soon as I was on board because they wanted something new and unique and original. They wanted it to be fresh. That was Fair easy enough. for me. <laughs> Fair enough. But that must be really hard trying to compose and like for a game where usually you kind of have to do some research, I suppose, on the game itself, right? But if you don't game much, and gaming r involves a lot of time to invest in it, right? And if you're composing exactly. as well, which also takes a lot of time and investment, I mean, there's, I mean, a lot of composers I speak to don't actually play game games much either because of that. Even though that, yeah, you know, part you partly have to kind of research what you're doing, just so you know where cues go and the interactive space, because that's what it is. It's an interactive medium, really. Yeah, it'd be like I mean, it'd be like trying to score a movie without seeing the scenes that you're working on. So I yeah. do think, you know, getting gameplay capture is a big benefit because for me, I've got the movie, even if it's. 25 minutes long and it plays through like the whole level of that game and even if they're playing through a lot quicker than a normal player would mm. it just it helps me to kind of see that the pacing of the gameplay and you know hear the temp sound effects maybe they might have some music from another level i've written tempt in there but um that's the very least that i do is i'll i'll have that as a movie either just looping in the background like on mute or i'll even put it into my daw into my computer if i'm doing like an exploration cue and i'll just find the explore part and have that playing and the music is playing while i'm working on it explore video of the game is in the background but i'll also do live gameplay like m me playing on a on a dev kit that it just takes more time, like you said. That's that's when I'm spending 45 minutes playing and not 45 minutes composing. So mm. a lot of times it's just a matter of schedule as, as to whether I have that kind of um, luxury. Now, some composers 
will play the game like more than the developers. They'll just they'll just play all the time and that's how they get their like creative juices going and that's great. I mean it's everyone works differently. So whatever whatever you need to inspire you, I say go for it. Yeah. Cuz how often do you compose a piece and then you submit it and then the developers like, "Nah, go back, start again." Does that happen often or usually you you nail it? Yeah, I don't, um, I think that I'm a really good listener and I, I only realized this after I've been in meetings with another composer or two and we've talked to a developer either, either about like demos that we're working on for that game or maybe they're working on part of the game, I'm working on another part. Um, and, and sometimes we come out of these meetings literally listening to the exact same kind of game pitch, and we have two completely different ideas about what the music should sound like. Oh, um, wow. I think a lot, of it, a lot of it for me is I'm kind of like an empty vessel if I'm thinking about a new score. I have no preconceived ideas about you know, instrumentation or, or style or anything like that. I'm, I'm really relying on the gameplay and the developer's input, kind of the emotional guides for the game. I mean, anything from their color palette to their environments, that's all informing what I would do for the music. And I, I think as a result of that, it, it's not really me as a composer saying, here's your first song, as much as it is, the developer and I, the audio director, the creative director, whomever, the team, we're all working together to come up with this this idea. Tomb, Tomb Raider is a perfect example. I did like maybe a eight or ten minute suite of music that went kind of from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. And it started out simple with her piano theme. And by the end, it was sort of the big heroic version of her theme and even as i worked on that piece i was sending examples to the audio director and the music team and we were sort of well i don't know maybe this could be a little bit that and there was no no start over it was just like oh it was always like you could do more there you could make that bigger you could make that a little scarier you can make that more dramatic you can make that more action oriented and by the time we finished the suite over a you know a two-week period and this is like, I mean, conference calls, like with the executive producer, the creative director, the audio director, and I think maybe even someone from the publisher. It was a very good, involved process with a lot of people. We had all kind of arrived at the sound, like, as, as a team. So when it was time to hit the ground running, actually writing the music, it was just like, yes, yes, please. Okay, great. Yes, yes, yes. Just, that's the way I like to work. And... There have been maybe one or two games where it was, that's not what, I don't think that's going to work. And usually um, it's it's just not a good, like, creative fit for me because I'm not the dart to the dartboard kind of guy. Um, right. Like, oh, that, that, track's, that track's okay, but let's try something like this instead. What, 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 I thought you wanted to try... Well, you know what? That's not really... That doesn't really work, does it? We should try something more like this and sort of just randomly going in different directions. Um, that's usually a red flag for me that maybe maybe someone hasn't thought this through yet. <laughs> and it's better for them to kind of get their creative vision together and, and figure out specifically what is going to work so that I can do my work better. But... I mean, I think of how many hundreds of games I've done that's happened like twice on two very small titles that I wasn't even doing a lot of music for. The big ones are usually very well organized, very well thought out, and um, just creatively, you know, they know exactly what they want the game to do. Maybe not the music, but they know what they want the game to do. And then that's where we start our relationship, kind of building what the music needs to do to like elevate that same idea. Right. I suppose that's because they're big projects that there's so much more planning involved. So you kind of have to have everything nailed before it even gets to the point where someone's asking you to be on the project. As opposed to maybe an indie game where, you know, they're just winging it. Not that I'm saying that indies wing it, but um, it probably doesn't need to be involved as, as much in terms of the planning. Probably similar with like, say, blockbuster films and indie films as well. I mean, the, the level of yeah, planning I think is that's just... A, 
a good a good comparison. And it's just the number of people too, and the amount of data that everyone's moving. If you have an indie game, maybe twelve or fifteen people on the whole team, and the music is. 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes. If you have a triple A game, you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and you're talking about hours and hours of music. So there's a lot more responsibility there to sort of get everything lined up and and headed in the right direction at the at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the Dark Pictures anthology. Like how did that come about? That seems like a cool project. Well, it's very cool, and that is basically the same thing as Tomb Raider, um, where I was contacted and asked if I would be interested. But uh, a little different from Tomb Raider, I worked with this developer before on Until Dawn. Yeah, that's right. And we hit it off really, really well. It was It was fun because... With Until Dawn, it was just Barney Pratt, the audio director, and I. And he was, I mean, literally, it was just Barney and I. He was responsible for doing all the audio, all the sound effects, managing the voiceover stuff. It was kind of their first big game. And um, I did the music, and then he did all the implementation, which was very, very, very involved. And on top of that, they went from PS3 to PS4, I believe it was, because it was supposed to be like a move title for the PS3. That's right. And then we had the console thing where like all, I think I had some crazy amount of projects and every single one of them within two weeks was put on hold for like six months because the PS3 to the PS4, like some titles were getting paused, other titles were getting pushed because they were going to be launch titles for the PS4. It's a very traumatic experience when a new console's coming out. <laughs> like everybody loses their minds. Um, but through that trial by fire, Barney and I really got to know each other. And I mean, he's stayed at my place. I've stayed at his place. My kids have been over uh, to London. We've like picked blackberries together and we've been friends forever now. So it was just one of those, I think, natural relationships to carry on with when Man and Medan came out, the first Dark Pictures game. And we've just been working and having a blast trying to do, it's like, like I said, two games I'm working on that are horror one day after the other. Well, this would be like Man and Medan versus Little Hope. You know, we don't want them to sound the same, but they still need to be scary. So what can we do to make them unique, but also to keep them kind of differentiated from each other? Yeah. So you do you think you'll always be associated with uh, those franchises, like the Dark Pictures <laughs> anthology and Dead Space? Or will you hand the reins over to someone else at some point? Or are you always going to be like, oh, nah. well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to have uh, someone else, um, you know, someone else's name associated with scary games. I think they've they've got a little bit of a hill to climb unless their last name is like um, Bloodborne or something. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I've had so many people assume that, I, that Graves was my stage name because of Dead Space. I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, I've, I got made fun of in elementary school because my last name was Graves. And then, of course, Tomb Raider. They're like, Dead Space and Tomb Raider, and the composer's last name is Graves. That can't be a coincidence. So, yeah, please, someone else, come pick up those reins. I'll happily hand them over. I don't mean an offense when I say this, but, like, you, your face completely subverts expectations because you look like you've got a very innocent <laughs> face. So, like, Graves and <laughs> horror games, it doesn't... It, yeah, it completely subverts expectations. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I think there was an article that I did, like a print article, where I did an in-person review, like at GDC or some conference, where I met the person, and we did this article on Dead Space, and the first paragraph was something like, um, you know, describing the game and how it's so scary, and then describing the music and how it's terrifying, and saying, one would picture the composer for this uh, video game to be like tattooed with piercings, <laughs> long hair, and a leather jacket, like a gruff voice, and maybe they don't even give you the time of day until like they've had their third cup of coffee. And, like, right, that's not what Jason Graves is like, and it's funny because I've always been very, very upbeat and and happy, and actually really love writing melodies and like pretty music. But I think the drummer part of me 
can really get into that guttural scary thing and that's sort of where it took off right so i'll just be smiling as you're running for the hills but it's good because you you know the, the stereotype you erase that stereotype that if you do horror games you've got to be all goth or something and black nails and black hair and so yeah and and tattoos so yeah no it's good it's good and exactly. You, yeah, and you mentioned um, you do do nice music. Like Moss, uh, Moss's music is is really yeah. good, man. Like really good. Like oh, thanks. Yeah, that was. We have a lot of animals here. Um, I mean, like dogs and cats and stuff. But we also have like chickens and tortoises and bearded dragons and tarantulas and um, we have lots of animals, parrots, uh, doves. And Moss had all these animals in it. And even when I was just starting on the demo for the game, there were a couple little cute figures kind of like dotted around the description of the game. And I was just showing it to my wife and I was like, I have to score this game. This is the game I've always wanted to score, but no one's really given me the chance because they just think I'm that guy with tattoos and long hair and a like severe attitude. Um, and even the audio director called my agent asking for another composer. I don't remember who it was, but as, asking for another composer and, and some additional ones. Like, hey, is, is composer XYZ available? And maybe a couple of others. We've got this game. We'd like a demo from them. And she said, oh, that one's not available. Um, but you know who is, who I think would be perfect for your game, is Jason Graves. And he laughed and said, it's not that kind of a game. <laughs> so you kind of really had yes. to fight for it. <laughs> um, well, I think I didn't have to do any fighting because my agent said, basically said to him, like, trust me, um, you'll be pleasantly surprised or, or, or something like that. And they did a, I don't know who else submitted demos, um, but they did a blind listening of, of all the demos and it was a team of like 12 or 15 people at the time. And everyone unanimously picked mine. And no one knew it was mine. So it was um, the Even easiest better. gig I've ever gotten because I didn't have to stand up for myself and say, no, no, just let me. I can write a pretty melody. Like, just give me the chance. <laughs> I, I got to do everything I wanted and they loved it. And that score was just such a blessing to be able to work on. It was just amazing. <laughs> Considering your resume, and like you've won um, British Academy Awards, how how do you stay so grounded? Because it would be very easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm 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 great, I'm amazing, you know. Particularly after winning awards and scoring so many games, but you seem very grounded through it all. Um, well, thank you. I I don't know. I guess I've never. Um I don't, want to say, I don't want to sound negative, but I've always been more focused on what I don't know or what I'm going to be learning tomorrow, mm. how I can improve myself, how I can make the music like that much better, either with the mix or the composition or the way I'm recording and what microphone I'm using or, or whatever. I've been a lot more focused on that and what I work on day to day than, um, you know, what, what's this going to how's this going to play during awards season? Or uh, I wonder if the developer is going to, I just don't really think about that. Um, which is, I know it's like this, the whole catch 22 cliche, like, Oh, I don't care about awards, you know, says the guy with 10 Academy awards or, or whatever, but it really is uh, that sort of a thing. Um, I, I think I just kind of assume that everybody else is better than I am. And it's kind of like that Groucho Marx thing. He said something like, I would never be the member of a, a, I would never join a club who would have me as a member. Like there's that kind of right. di di distinction there. And even with the BAFTA, like for Dead Space, which I'm still pretty sure I was riding the coattails of the game. The game was amazing. And as a result of the score being so well implemented, like I was kind of able to get notoriety through that. Um, 
I just forget? lost my train of thought. <laughs> that's a, that's all right. Do you ever have to like plan a speech in advance and read it in front of the mirror, or you just kind of wing it when you oh, get these gosh, awards? No, no. Yeah. Do you like I've, that stuff? I've always been. Um, well, I like I like entertaining people, and I actually I did musical theater and um, even some commercials and acting and like dance and stuff like that growing up all through elementary school and middle school. And then even in high school, I was like giving speeches and I've always been very comfortable in front of people. So I don't really like the idea of going up and accepting an award because then I'm afraid that I'm going to forget to mention someone. But if you're talking about um, like, hey, Jason, do a presentation on the music for Moss in front of 500 people. I'd be like, yes, please let me do that. That sounds great because obviously I have no problem talking. And I like the idea of um, like educating people and, and maybe helping them. Maybe there's one thing in that talk that another composer hadn't thought of before. And they're like, oh, I could totally, I could totally do that. You know, relaying your experience um, and helping others benefit. That's, that's sort of my like happy place. That's a good segue, actually, because you studied at the University of Southern California, right? Yep. Have you ever gone back to like do any like guest lectures or anything for like the students there? No, um, I know when I went through, they were very focused on film and TV. Now, the, and the director at the time, I was very close with, and he passed away like maybe five years after that. So I'm not sure who's in charge of the program anymore. But I know um, there's so many composers in LA. Oh, probably yeah. <laughs> game as well as film and TV. So I don't think that there's you know, a lot of uh, looking outside of Los Angeles County. Um, you know, I've, I've seen stuff. They go and see Thomas Newman and Marco Beltrami. And I mean, I know those are big film guys. Um, I don't know if they're, I guess they're doing games with the program. They, they probably are. But I, I do talk I at think other they places. Because I, I had Gary Scheinman. That doesn't surprise me. I had Gary Scheinman yeah. on here. Yeah, and he, um, he does lectures there. And he says that traditionally what's happened now is that, well, back it used to be always television and film. And now, as time goes on, a lot of these younger uh, students are more interested in scoring for games than film and television. So, okay. So I uh, completely blanked. I've, I've spoken there twice, right? I went to Gary's class as a guest speaker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it just, just goes like, completely. Yeah. 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 That's all right. Well, you've done a lot of stuff, right? So it's 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 hard to keep track, <laughs> I suppose. I um I did read that yeah. you did you did a bit of stuff for like American Idol and Amazing Race and America's Most Wanted. Like, what was your involvement oh, yeah. with that? Yeah. What did you actually did you actually all score the, all the A T V shows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, did you do like? Because I know sometimes with that stuff is you don't do it can be a number of composers working on different elements, but what was your involvement with all that? Uh, I'd say probably 80% of those shows are um, library tracks that were placed, um, usually oh, exclusively right. through like a specific channel, like, you know, the learning channel or something like that. Um, okay. Back back in the day when I was in LA, I had about 10 to 15 TV shows that I did that were that were custom scored. And those are on the list as well. Oh, um, nice. I haven't updated it in forever. I have, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, probably thousands of songs that are in a couple of different libraries that just get needle dropped places. And it's probably been 10 to 12 years since I've looked at my statement and like updated those shows, but it'll be literally like um, what was one where I just laughed because I'll flip through Well, I'll scroll now. It's like hundreds of pages um, from my royalty things. That's how I can keep track of what the shows are. And it'll be like, I didn't know I was pregnant. Wow, okay, that's a good one. But then there'll literally be like 20 or 25 minutes of my music across the entire you know, season 10 or whatever season is uh, playing at that point in time. Well, nine months ago, because that's how long it takes for the royalty sheets. But yeah, it's mostly now library stuff. Yeah, okay. Well, you must get a fair amount of royalties given the length of time you've been in this industry. Not just with like television, That's, television, but games as well. Yeah. I'm sure. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's 
it's definitely nice. Um, the royalties from games are from soundtrack sales. Yeah, yeah. Or from um, like Sony and EA, especially they do licensing of their soundtracks. So I get uh, checks like every six months, I think, from each one of them. And I mean, sometimes they can be fairly significant. And that's just, I mean, talk about icing on the cake. The game has already been made. I was paid for the music. And then this is other companies licensing the music. And then EA and I are are splitting it. I've even seen a couple of shows um, where I'm like, uh, that's my music. (laughs) And nine months later, there it is on the cue sheet, you know, from whatever. I think it was some music from Dead Space was in a documentary about the Titanic. That's the one that comes to mind immediately. They're like, iceberg ahead! And it goes, like all this creepy music plays. It was great. That's hilarious. Oh, well, it's good for you. I mean, always good to get that royalty check, I suppose. Most definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the good thing about doing what you're doing is, like, you probably haven't been affected that much by COVID. I'd imagine probably just the the orchestra sessions, maybe when you're doing recordings, that would probably be the only thing I could think of. I know some friends that were affected because of the live sessions, but as it stands, uh, the last year and a half, everything I've been doing um, has been like, I don't know, musicians that record themselves. So, Mm. you know, a string player, a guitar player, a woodwind player, they all have their own studios at home, and we would have been recording this way regardless of lockdown. Yeah. Um, And on, on top of that, we're basically in the middle of a 25 acre plot of woods that's surrounded by farmland. We've been out here for like five years. So we're already quarantining. It's yeah. like everything's kind of the same. Um, I know it's been a lot worse for other people and I consider myself very fortunate to be both busy and kind of already isolated. So yeah. it's, um, I, I joked to my wife after about six months, I was like, um, so when do I get this this break where everyone complains about being bored and not having anything to do. And it just, it just never happened. It's just been work, 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 but I'm by no means complaining. Yeah. I love yeah. what I do. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you love what you do. Is there any project or anything that you haven't worked on at this stage that you'd like to do? Um, well, I really love fantasy. Like Moss was a little bit of fantasy. It was sort of like, well, I made it sort of medieval fantasy in a way, but I'd love to do some more fantasy somethings. I, I don't know what, something that could be like big and epic, but I also, I answer this in every interview and I'll probably never get it, but I really want to work with, um, um, I just blanked out on there, uh, the developer. <sighs> yeah. This is what happens when you get me at the end of the day. Um, yeah, there's <laughs> a couple of developers that I would really love to work with. Uh, yeah. And it hasn't happened yet, but maybe sometime. Who knows? Oh, it'll, it'll happen for Naughty sure. Naughty Dog. Naughty Dog. That's it. Naughty Dog. I really want to work with Naughty Dog. I just love everything they do. It's so well done. Surely that could happen because you've already done some stuff for Sony. So wouldn't you kind of already have yeah. the in? You must know some people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know all the people that know all the people, but it's, you got to understand these, you're looking at like a, a three to five year window of these projects getting made. And maybe there's a couple of projects that overlap, but you got to find the right fit and the timing has to work out. And it's, it's complicated. A lot of moving pieces. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But in terms of fantasy, I suppose Lord of the Rings would probably be it, I suppose. Because they, they they still do um, Warner Brothers still do uh, Lord of the Rings game. They do. Um, yeah, maybe it, that that's sort of like being like Star Wars is the ultimate sort of science fiction. Like I'd prefer for it to be a non branded fantasy. Not sure. that I couldn't do my own thing with Lord of the Rings, but I'd feel like Howard Shore was like staring me down from the corner. Even if the developer was like, no, 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 we don't want to sound like Howard Shore. It's like Lord of the Rings. I mean. I would hear that music in my head the whole time, regardless of what anybody said. You know, it's nice to have a little bit of, uh, like, blank slate, <laughs> mentally speaking. Yeah, yeah. Less pressure as well. Um, you don't have to meet certain expectations, I suppose. Help takes, yeah. help takes the edge off, I suppose. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, hey, I know you're a busy man, so I'll wrap up there. 
thank you so much for doing this, for taking the time out. I know it's the end of the day for you, so, you know, things are all <laughs> all going around there, getting a bit of brain fog, and I suppose you've been working all day. It's all so. good. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So you're all on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Yep, totally. Yep. Uh, JG Music, I think, is most of my handles for Instagram, for Twitter, or maybe Jason Graves Music. One of those two will pretty much find you, find you, right, find me. Um, and the website's just jasongraves.com, a bunch of like audio and music on there. Yeah, I'm always looking to touch base with folks, so reach out and say hey. Yeah, cool. Well, hey, Jason, thanks again. Uh, that's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe, and uh, support Jason. Go play his music on Spotify so he gets more royalties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we won't even talk about Spotify. Don't even get me started. Okay. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, go listen to Spotify. Please, just just listen to music in general. Um, thank you very much, Reese. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. I really like enjoyed it. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's the show, everyone. Stay safe. See ya.